1: Hello, hello, and welcome, or should I say welcome back, to the Indie Football Podcast. I am Ed Malian, sports editor of The Independent, and as ever, I'm flanked by two of my favourite people to my left. Chief Football Writer of The Independent, Miguel Delaney. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome. I'm happy well. to be here once again. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you also for welcoming me. And yeah. to my right, um, our man around North London, our Arsenal correspondent himself, uh, occasionally seen in the boxing rings of London, the US and beyond, it is Luke Brown.
2: Hello there. Not in the ring. Not in the ring. No. Inside.
1: Uh, just kind of, like just scratching around <laughs> the edges. I'm very scrawny, so I wouldn't <laughs> last for very long. Just... Uh, I mean, we could bring some boxing into today's show uh, with regards to Anthony Joshua's comments about mm. Cristiano Ronaldo. Must not go there. Um, but I think it's best to just say, don't say stupid stuff, Anthony Joshua. Um, since the last podcast, we've had a lot of interesting action. What happened over the weekend? We had the North London yeah. derby. We had uh, Liverpool versus Everton. We had Chelsea versus Fulham. If you count that as a derby, and do we it, had. Do you not? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it kind of is, yeah. And we had it's another... couldn't uh, even more of a Derby surely league. We had another bit. Classico. Was, yeah. Um, but but we're... They've not lost their edge a bit. Lost their edge a bit. They've lost their edge a bit because Real Madrid aren't very good. Uh, what's that, four... Barcelona won all four of them in the last month? Yeah. So uh, Barcelona doing very well but in it, La Liga. But is that
3: just... We might get into the Champions League, but is this all setting up so that Barca actually lose the, champ- the game against Madrid they really want to win, which is like when they inevitably meet in the Champions League... And Madrid just spawned the ultimate
1: fluky win. If you watch any of these clasicos, it's hard to see how Real Madrid. But gonna. like, this
3: is the nature of like Champions
1: League. The, the one thing I did like is that that twenty two year old lad they've got uh on, who uh, apparently was like calling out Messi and Suarez to their face and like insulting both of them. It's like, I mean, like yeah, if you are going to play a clasico, you might as well go for it. Um, it's either that or you be really nice to Messi and try and get a shirt afterwards, so you can at mm. least kind of keep that as a keepsake. But no, he went for for the insults. Uh, He called Suarez ugly multiple times to his face, called him a rabbit, uh, called Messi uh, a flea, which I know is not the greatest insult. Um, But yeah, uh, well done to him. But let's move on. Uh, First, I want to talk Premier League. And then after that, we're going to have a look at the Champions League power rankings ahead of a big week in Europe. So Miguel, this weekend, you were at Liverpool-Everton. Yeah. Where better to start?
3: Um, It was actually, well, the start of the game was not the best by any means. It was quite poor. But it actually got really entertaining the second half because it had that kind of classic title run-in edge to it where I kind of every moment you know, felt the weight of all these 29 years of a little bit of the weight, particularly uh, the miss by Fabinho, I thought. Yeah. And maybe to a lesser extent Matip. And then all those moments from Salah. But it was actually it was a really entertaining game by then. Um, not a high-quality game, but just very tense. And it's
1: another bad draw for Liverpool, despite the fact it was at Goodison. I got an impression that... Um the roof would have come off if Everton had just nicked a goal because they were desperate to kind of. Uh, and I kind of it kind of felt like they sensed it as well. And, and they uh, apparently Everton fans were singing Blue Moon afterwards. Uh, there was a lo- there was uh, there was three uh, Oasis songs played throughout the afternoon. Three Oasis songs. Mm. Uh, Everton, you know, they, they had the odd chance, didn't they? They really were trying to play the spoiler role. Uh, Liverpool, I thought, did have the chances to win it, as you say, through Salah. What do we what do we make of Salah's kind of? current run of form
3: off it i mean it just doesn't look it's not just that he's missing chances because i think i actually raised this in the piece i did game yesterday that top strikers actually miss more more chances than people ever imagine like Agüero actually misses a lot of chances but i suppose the point isn't that they take them ruthlessly it's that it's the persistence that it almost it doesn't affect them whereas at the moment Salah does look a bit affected he's not sharp uh, and both of liverpool's best two chances beyond the fabinho one were ruined, basically, by his touches. One was just too sloppy out wide. Yeah. The second one, when he was put through and goal by another um, Everton Error, he took. He was just too ponderous and allowed uh, Michael Keane to get back.
2: Um, looking great. Obviously, it was a huge blow for them in terms of the title race. It was obviously a two-point drop behind City, but towards the end, I almost felt like it was... A point. It felt almost a little bit like a point game because when you look at the players that Everton brought on, they obviously the first half of them from them was pretty poor, but then the crowd really started getting behind them and the atmosphere changed completely. They brought on from mid-table team. They brought on Richarlison, yeah. Gomez, and Tosin, who are like three really really good players. And I thought towards the end it looked like if any side was going to nick it, it was it was going to be Everton. Was Most of Liverpool's yeah. chances came quite early, didn't they?
3: Yeah, yeah, and um, and, and and again, Everton can sense the kind of a, a trepidation in Liverpool. But this this is a growing problem. It's just at the moment something's not right
1: with them. So Man City now very much in the driving seat, but uh, looking ahead to the run-ins, you kind of spotted something about some of the teams that City have to well, face. It's, it's not so much. It's basically this crunch around April. Where,
3: I mean, because already the one thing about City, to be fair, because of the way teams like West Ham and Bournemouth are setting up against them, every game has become a massive, massive kind of labour intensive operation and like really kind of it dragging and out of them. So they'll have that. But then if they go further in the FA Cup and Champions League, as we expect, it means they'll have a massive crunch in April with, in successive games, uh, matches against Tottenham Hotspur and Manchester United. So, um,. I mean, to win, come through all these victories is,
1: is a big ask. You still, you still think in the city of favourites, though? Yes, I still think they'll win it. Um, and what did you think, you know, overall of, of Liverpool after that game, talking to the players and, and coach, whatever, what impression did you get of, of their headspace right now? Uh, concerned. Uh, catty. Well, you would actually, you could see at the end where...
3: We, we, the way Henderson was shouting at Salah, the
1: way the ball boy, yeah, and, bu- and, and yeah. Jurgen
3: Klopp, and, and in Klopp's response, I can't remember who asked the question because uh, I was studiously typing at the time, but it um, it's, uh, he got really catty, Klopp, when he was asked about taking more risks. And well, I think the question was really about you know the, the amount of draws they've had and how they can stop these draws. But Klopp got really badly, and he, like, and he didn't just kind of snap back once; he snapped back three or four times in one answer. Uh, and it's uh, Rory Smith made his point to us actually afterwards. Uh, Cup's appeals for Cam don't really match up too well with his own um, demeanor. Yeah, his, his emotional demeanour, especially when it gets anyway testy.
1: Yeah, it, it was an interesting one. I, I mean, the game itself wasn't, I thought, that, that great, uh, obviously, but in the end, you get a 0-0 draw that, that serves City quite well. The table, as we all know, is is very tight at the top, and I think we're going to see it change a lot. Nine games to go, one point between them. Uh, one team that, that dropped off and Dropped out of the title race, you have to say now. Luke Brown is, uh Tottenham. Uh, you were at Arsenal, Tottenham uh, at Wembley. Another tube disaster. Getting Oh, there. my God. Wembley Park is
2: just the worst uh, place a, in the world.
1: I hate, going to, I hate going to games at Wembley. I hate it's Wembley. A, it's it's a terrible... It's lost, st-
2: well, it didn't, it didn't have much of a special feeling about it anyway, did it? But it's just lost that novelty now as well. It's just this miserable place.
1: Should have sold it to them, their Americans, mm. when you had the chance. Um, Spurs-Arsenal then. So Spurs... Out the title race now you'd say but they they should be good to hold on to Champions League football Arsenal are chasing Champions League football yeah they're a point behind United who, who snuck past Southampton with a 3-2 come from behind win what do you make of, of this Arsenal situation right now because you can't help but feel they should have won it with that last minute penalty yeah
2: they'll be gutted that they didn't win it they they were gutted when they didn't win it I mean the players are pretty dejected at full time the fans are obviously completely miserable but you know speaking to people after the game there was a sense of after the that kind of initial half an hour cooldown period. I think Arsenal saw it as a good point, a good point away from home and I think it was one of their best performances. I think you can argue that it was a better performance than when they actually beat Spurs at the Emirates. Because that was one of those games where they went behind and they kind of crowd got behind them and they kind of won that through their emotion and, you know, it was a great performance and it kind of set the tone for Emory in a lot of ways. But this was like something we've not really seen before from Emery and that was very kind of tactically robust, very disciplined. It was a tailor made Um, Plan and like for once the uh, their kind of pressing actually worked perfectly. Um, And when you think the goal, Harry Kane's goal was obviously incredibly controversial, and then they had like a a chance to win it late on. I think they'll be really proud with this performance. And plus, they've just been playing well recently. Anyway, they destroyed Bournemouth, played well against Southampton. So I'm quietly confident that they'll uh, they'll make the top four. To be honest, yeah, I I really think they will. I think they're playing really well at the
1: expense of.
2: It's hard, isn't it? Um, I don't think Spurs have got it wrapped up yet. I really don't. If they get past Dortmund, uh, they've already got a bit of a stretched squad. They've already got quite a lot of injuries and players coming back and players not in form. I mean, Wanyama was just atrocious. You know, they've got a lot of players.
1: It was weird that he was included, wasn't it? But the, well, the, injuries, the injuries kind of meant they
2: had yeah, to. Yeah, what else could he have done? He could have played Skip. Played but playing Skip in the North London derby is going to be, you know, challenging for him. Um, I, yeah, I really don't think Spurs are definitely there. And, and I still think that United are going to, they are going to hit a wall at some point. I can't see them just winning every game for the rest of the season. So I think I think Arsenal are definitely in with a shout.
1: United uh, have lost Alexis Sanchez for most of the rest of the season, six to eight weeks out, according to uh, Pedro Oñato, the Chilean physio. Uh, So if he's out for the rest of the season, uh, United, I I don't know if that's a huge blow for United, given how he's played, to be honest. No. Um, But it's more the fact that they just have lost a lot of players. They've got a bit of an injury crisis, but going out of the Champions League this week will likely... Kind of help them, I, I guess, a little bit, and and they are huge underdogs against PSG. So, what's it, what are your movements this week for the Champions League, Miguel? Uh, I'm going to Paris on Tuesday morning. Paris Tuesday morning, yeah. and so you're doing PSG Man United uh, yeah. Tuesday, and then we've got game Wednesday.
3: No, the game is The game is Wednesday. Oh, the, the game! I was doing Pressers tomorrow. So we, we all we all love a Presser.
1: Well, in fact, tomorrow tomorrow's uh, Real Madrid Ajax, which the first leg Ajax dominated and should have got better out. Do of, we, actually it the do, do we
3: think Ajax can knock them
1: out still? So uh, we're going to discuss this in a moment, just uh, the Champions League power rankings that I I rejigged this morning so we can. I just wanted to throw it over to Dortmund where Jack and Johnny are. um, And they've just been sat at the the press conferences uh, ahead of Dortmund-Tottenham tomorrow. So we'll just hear from them and then we'll carry on with the Champions League chat.
4: Uh, We're at Signal Iduna Park. Uh, I'm Jonathan Liu and... I am with Jack Pitbrook. Uh, we've just finished, come out of Mauricio Pochettino's press conference ahead of uh, Borussia Dortmund against Tottenham tomorrow evening. Um, Jack, what did you make of what we just heard and saw from Mauricio? Um, my main
5: impression is that he didn't want to talk about the game. Uh, Pochettino gave us a very, a very long talk about fixture scheduling, which is something that we hear quite a lot of from English coaches when they're playing in Europe saying that English teams don't get enough help, that foreign teams get teams moved, whereas English teams have less and less preparation time, which makes these games harder for them. Like, I'm sure it's true, I'm not disputing that at all, but managers usually only say that for a reason. And for Pochino to spend so much of the 25-minute press conference that we just had here talking about fixtures made me think maybe he's feeling a bit nervous about the game tomorrow. Maybe he is worried about the possibility of Spurs spursing it up. Um, well, yeah. We, yeah. Which is like probably the, on the pitch is the biggest and only question really going into the game, given that 3-0 lead they have in the first leg.
4: Yeah, I mean, I mean, just to recap, the game's happening on a Tuesday night. They played Arsenal at Wembley on Saturday lunchtime. You can't really have much more of a, of a gap than that unless, you know... Uh, Pochettino was complaining about Dortmund playing Friday night That that is not something that's going to happen with regularity and this is something that you hear managers complaining about but three and a half days if you have a decent sized squad and you know that's obviously another question should be enough to prepare a Champions League game when you're 3-0 up from the first leg and it does I think raise the question that is very much the burning question here are Spurs going to Spurs hit? Well,
5: Johnny, you're an expert on Spurs Spursing It and you've written at length about the possibility of Spurs Spursing It. Looking at previous uh, case studies of Spurs Spursing It in uh, European games, can you talk us through what you found and what you expect to happen tomorrow?
4: Yeah, well, I mean, just off the top of my internet browser history, you've got... uh Spurs 3 Manchester City 4, Spurs 3 Manchester United 5. That, those, both of those giving up 3-0 leads in a single game. You have the League Cup semi-final against then Championship Burnley in 2009 when they won the first leg 4-1, lost the second leg 3-0 in 90 minutes would have gone out had the away goals goal rule been in force uh, before then then scoring I think in the 118th minute. 3-0 at home in the first leg against Inter Milan in the Europa League in 2012-13. Then lose, somehow losing the second leg 4-1 with Adebayor scoring in, in extra time. Uh, and these and you know, th- th- that's before you even take into account you know, 4-0 against Inter at the San Siro in 2010, before, before Bale scores his hat-trick, or going 3-0 down against young boys. Tottenham are a team that, for, for various reasons, I think partly tactical, but mostly psychological, tend to start very badly and when they get into what I suppose a continental manager might term a negative moment, uh, they can very easily lose control in what fans of other clubs would find a very comical fashion.
5: Yeah, I mean, I think we can, I think we can say with no doubt whatsoever that Tottenham will be 2-0 down after half an hour <laughs> tomorrow night. Uh, you can you know, put the mortgage on that. Uh, and then we're going to have, I think, a terrifying second half in which Tottenham will basically have to score. Because if they don't score, it is inevitable they will concede the third and the game will go to extra time. Of course, if Tottenham do score, then uh, they will be 4-0 up and Dortmund will need to score 5 on the night to go through. Um, so, And given what we've seen from Tottenham recently, that is basically a string of bad performances ever since the first leg win at Wembley. Uh, and not one again. Not yet. Uh, given that they're looking tired and leggy, there's not much in midfield... They've basically been, frankly, I mean, even going back beyond the first leg, I think it's fair to say they've been bailed out by Kane and Son for the last few months, really, and haven't put together a complete 90 minute performance for a very long time. I think they're massively up against it tomorrow. I think Dortmund, you know, Dortmund have got some incredible attacking players. Marco Royce is back, who was out for the first leg. Jaden Sancho can do whatever he wants on his day. Dortmund have no option but to throw the, what, you know, what you might call the absolute kitchen sink at Tottenham from the start. And it's. I'm sure they will score early and I think that so much of what happens tomorrow is going to come it's going to hinge on Tottenham's ability to kind of keep their head above water and not to lose not to lose their minds just when they happen to concede because it is going to get very tough for them.
4: Yeah I mean it's a question of game management I suppose Uh, even though you'd obviously rather be Tottenham at this stage there is something quite liberating in Dortmund's task which is Really, quite simply, you have to score three goals and you have to go for it. And having that clarity of purpose uh, can actually really unfetter a team. If, if you think about when Tottenham have played best at their best this season, it's been, for example, at the new Camp when they had to go for it or uh, against Inter Milan at, at Wembley when they had to go for it. Having to, to manage a game takes quite different skills. And for, for all the great football that Tottenham have played in the last two or three years, it's when they've had to manage a game, had to manage a big occasion like this and show a certain maturity, uh, patience sometimes, composure, judgment on the, on, on the ball. These are the things that we haven't always seen from them. And I think that, that that's going to be the big test. Dortmund will just lay into them and they have, to, they have to be prepared for that. They can't just sort of tap the ball around their own half for 10, 15 minutes. Dortmund aren't going to let them do that. And if they, if they do, if they try and do that, it's very likely they're going to get forced into an error. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's weird that we're talking about Spurs in this way, but you have to, you have to be slightly anxious at least. Yeah, I mean, the counter-argument to that is that literally the only
5: time in the last few years that we've seen Tottenham play with patience, experience, now game management, was the first leg of this tie, where they didn't really play very well in the first half. Dortmund had the better of the chances at the start. Spurs hung in there, scored at the right time, took advantage, and then went for the jugular right at the end when Dortmund were tiring. Basically showing that kind of the experience required to take advantage of the moments when the game is in the balance, which is precisely the skill that Tottenham have lacked in big games over the years. You know, looking back at uh, big Premier League games against Chelsea, at FA Cup semi-finals against Chelsea, Manchester United, League Cup semi-final against Chelsea, League Cup final against Chelsea, Champions League knockout game against Juventus. Uh, you know, these are the games where Tottenham have messed it up over the years. This is our... This is pr- would you say this is maybe the biggest game of the Pochettino era, or one of them, probably in the top five? And it will be interesting to see whether or not those kind of first hints that we saw in the first leg that Tottenham can play with a bit of big game experience might might well show. That, that I think, is what it's all going to come down to.
4: Yeah, I, th- I think you know, I, I, it's, it's definitely... You know, I, I, this, is, this is kind of a footballer's answer here, but it's definitely up there. Uh, it's, it's, is it bang up there? It's, it's bang up there. I, I mean, I would say the game at the new Camp was... Uh, was just enormous for so many reasons. You know, partly, because wasn't a camp, part, partly because it was the new camp, but partly because it was it was such a, a makeshift team. I, if you remember, Kyle Walker Peters started a, a right back in that game. Um, but it, it, it seems like in the Pochettino era, these games seem to to keep coming thick and fast. And Tottenham have always sort of kind of flattered to deceive a little bit in them. Um, and, and I mean, I remember I remember sitting in a bar in Saint Lucia watching the first leg I was, out, I was out there covering the cricket I was, I was out there with um, Paul Newman the, the Daily Mail's cricket correspondent who's a big Spurs fan and Stephen Harmison, who isn't uh, and thinking well this is incredibly tight this is, a, this, is, this is a really really tense game Dortmund as likely to nick something on the break and, and then it's one all, as as Spurs are to you know to, to, to score a second and and, and in many ways 3-0 kind of flattered them and, and it's it's possible that It's it's lulled people into a a certain sense of security here because the expectation is all on them to go through and uh, that can be a dangerous thing. Great. Um,
5: I think we're going to sign off off from there, listeners. Thank you for joining us and um, please abuse us if our predictions come untrue on Twitter afterwards. Thanks very much. Bye.
1: Thank you, guys. In Germany, uh, I did cut off Miguel in his stride before that. Uh, what we, what you were going to say? <laughs> right. Miguel? Sorry. Actually,
3: in fact, i just remembered this. This is something we can uh, <laughs> throw again this
1: week. In April 2017,
3: I did a piece on how di- why it's so difficult for um, teams to get through having lost a first leg at home. Uh-huh. In fact, it's only happened six times in history. Great. So that, that's, that's obviously relevant to Ajax and Manchester United this week.
1: So uh, it's difficult. It's very difficult. Yeah. Um. I think Ajax... Ajax probably won't be able to do it. PSG looked... United's equals, I thought, in that first leg. I mean, you know better than I do, but I thought they looked like pretty level. I thought it was more of a 1-0 game than a 2-0 game, but uh, it's hard to see how United overcome that, right? With with so many injuries.
3: Yeah. Um, I was actually just looking at my piece there, a bit wide so difficult <laughs> to get away from home? i <laughs> uh, sorry, to win having been beaten at home. I suppose, yeah... Um, well, I think the biggest thing about it is the amount of pace they've lost. Given that PSG seemed of everything United had, particularly conscious of that, then they don't have that. They're lacking most of that pace. So then, but then they're also lacking one of their main sources of ingenuity, which is Paul Pogba. Um, so it's it's asking a lot, especially against a really canny-looking PSG team. Just just two things I think are possible though that are relevant to this game. First of all, just the whole odd dynamic of the past few seasons where suddenly. Situations that were pretty much manageable for most of the European Cup history, like massive away wins or massive uh, turnovers, suddenly became really common in the last few years. So we obviously had Barca PSG, which is going to be referenced in this, ge- uh, this game. No doubt, we had Roma Barcelona. Uh, even one that didn't actually come true, but still created the sort of at least attention we want on, we- on Wednesday. Uh, Juventus Real Madrid last season, which I was at when when Juventus brought Real Madrid r- yeah, r- yeah, r- 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 right right to the brink. Um, so from 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 that perspective, it does feel as if kind of so, it, it, as if this kind of just energy in that sense has kind of infused the Champions League over the past few years. And I suppose the one thing is if United do get one goal, fluke one goal, then suddenly the whole the whole complexion changes in that regard. Then there's a tentiveness about um about PSG. Uh, but I suppose it, but then it's still about how Solskjaer what he can come up with. I mean, and to, and to be fair to Solskjaer, is one of the reasons why he's probably going to get the job now, not just to kind of run the results they've had, but also how he's reacted to different tactical situations. Um, but this is probably his biggest challenge in that
1: sense. Yeah. Um, I'll go through the Champions League power rankings Um, that I rejected this morning at the commandment of, of Ben Burrows, our news editor. Uh, so I didn't, perhaps, I mean, I, I can't even remember who I put where. So what we've got... So this is these are ranked in their likelihood of winning the whole competition. Just so you know, and then you can tell me if you think I'm too low, too high, or about right on these. So, Sixteen, I've got Schalke, who lost three-two at home to Man City and seemingly have no chance. About right? Yep. Borussia Dortmund have dropped from tenth all the way to fifteenth. Um, thumped by Spurs, but they they do have the talent to overcome three a three-goal deficit, and they.
2: Are now at home. I hate to use words "spursy" and "bottle," but this feels like it could be the ultimate Tottenham performance away from home in Europe. Yeah, so
1: it's fine. So uh, I c- they've got. Know, yeah, they've got. They've, they've got, a got slim they're chance. It. They're up against it. More than shulk. But I think they've got a better chance than their their rivals from the Ruhr region of Deutschland. Fourteenth, uh, Manchester United, from uh, dropped from ninth. So I've got so. Yeah,
3: I mean if
2: they're
1: the joint biggest fallers.
2: It's <laughs> not <laughs> if we're
3: basing on likeliest to go out, then yes, you'd have to have that.
1: Fourteenth, right? Yeah. And, Pogba, and there's no Pogba as well. That's the thing is, it's like you're not even at full strength. Oh, Mbappe on the counter attack as well. A I tough mean. trip to PSG where you're gonna be pressing and you got Mbappe on the it was ridiculous on the
2: weekend, so he's gonna be up for it. He's,
3: he's unreal. He's, he's the second best player in the world now.
1: Ajax for me. Ajax. Uh, I've I've given a two place bump from fifteenth to thirteenth just because they outplayed Real Madrid, um, but VAR really cost them and some lax finishing. So. They've got a chance, but they're, they're they're kind of in trouble. Porto, Roma are next to each other. Porto in twelfth, um, they lost two one in Rome, so it's not over. Um, but do we think that they actually have the firepower to do anything in the Champions League this year?
2: Can't see it. I think you've got a favour, Roma. They got they got quite a fortunate goal at the end of the game as well, didn't they? So
1: Roma are a bit of a wild card. They got to the semis last year, of course, where they played Liverpool. Uh, the kids, Anjolo. Everyone everyone's talking about Patrick Schick as well, talented player. Um, they've got the narrow advantage heading into the second leg, but do we see Roma... I mean, Roma, you know, if, if they're in the quarterfinals, they're not far off. Yeah, you don't want to face them. You yeah. don't want to face them. I, I, I mean, you definitely don't want to have to go there because it's going to be loud, it's going to be pyrotechnic, it's going to be everything. Juve dropped five places to 10th from from 5th. I, Is really, that too low? I, Is that I, not I, low I, enough?
3: I was very disappointed with them, I have to say, against... I mean, there's still the potential that, again, like the United game, except they're at home, one goal and it suddenly changes, and then you might see the full force of Juve, Ronaldo, all the rest of it. But no, I was very disappointed with them against Atletico.
1: They were they were very poor, and you've got to score basically at least two goals, probably three, yeah. against one of the best defences in Europe over the last decade. Mm. So I can't really see it. Uh, a- ahead of them in ninth, we have Leon, who who were 14th last week. Uh, but they they rattled City during the group stage, and they got a creditable nil nil draw against Barcelona.
3: I'm I'm slightly concerned for Barça.
1: Why are you concerned for Barça?
3: No, they've been so unconvincing in Europe in the last uh, basically since they last won it in 2015. Uh, the, the the one big well, some group some great group stage performance that kind of says it all. You and the sixth one, you don't
1: need to be convincing in Europe to win. What, oh, that's we that's, that's true. That's true.
3: But but right. then but, but this is the point. But then Barça keep keep they keep kind of slipping up in games. I mean, going into Roma last season. Um, then, then, like suddenly, after the PSG results, they they played Juventus and just froze in that match in a really weird way. Um, I mean, there is still the messy factor ultimately, which kind of makes you sc- use every game. I and mean, they should still go through, but yeah, I am s- I'm slightly concerned for them.
1: I've got Tottenham, a good I've got so. Tottenham at eighth in this, right? Which I think might seem a little harsh. And some of the comments I've had were that this is a little harsh. They were eleventh before. They're as good as in the quarters, essentially. That's eight. But yeah, but they're, but they're, what, we don't know what their ceiling is, and eighth reflects their strong chance of progression. But are they any better than eighth in the Champions League? Do you think? And when we get to the quarterfinals, I guess one of Roma Porto will be in there, and you could possibly put Spurs ahead of them in maybe like a seventh place. But am I being too harsh on Spurs here?
2: No, I think that's that's fair enough. It massively depends on who comes back for them as well, how many players they can get back up to full fitness, and also I suppose the, the new ground could be a bit of a factor. Whether that becomes a strength or a weakness will be quite interesting to.
1: Do you think uh, so? There was one report today. I don't. I didn't see whose report it was. That they they've had their last game at Wembley. Was it their last home game at Wembley?
3: Yeah, the confidence of that. Yeah.
1: Um, and where was that report? Standard. Oh, uh, standard. Okay. So um, what are we saying? What, what are we saying? So if they go into their new stadium for the Champions League quarter final, do you think that's a? You, you covered the Spurs a lot, Miguel. Do you think mm. that's a boost for them, or do you think? It might take some time to adapt to these new stadiums.
3: I, I, there is maybe a slight risk in having maybe your first game in in that. St- in that so would it be the actual game first, game
1: first game as well? Yeah, they, uh, they, 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 they should they should do
3: it. just. To, but, but even then, like you need to kind of bet into these stadiums. Yeah. It would be a huge event now, to be fair. Uh, and of course the atmosphere could take on. We should
1: like, talk. We should talk to some players before yeah. the next, um, like before that game happens, mm. basically, and ask them how important is that? Like, does it matter? doesn't yeah, matter yeah, at yeah. all because you go to weird stadiums all the time and win games yeah true yeah, true. you know what I mean Like, but, yeah, but, yeah, but I'd that'd be interested in hearing from players who for example moved to the Emirates or maybe the Wanda or whatever mm. in, in well I, me- there was, I remember there was that
3: when West Ham moved stadium or I actually remember a, a, a quote stood out from Jason Dardis at Hampton who talked about when they moved from the Dell to St. Mary's it took them a long time even like taking a throw and was so alien for a bit because of the Dell was right behind and I suppose well, so when you're doing it from time to time and you go to strange away or kind of curious away grounds in that sense, you adopt a different mentality. Yet when it's meant to be your home ground, it just it just means it's just kind of it's got to take a while before you're fully kind of comfortable somewhere.
2: The thing that I think will be most interesting with Spurs moving ground is that in all previous examples it's been clubs moving from one area to a completely yeah, different yeah. area. Was with Spurs it's literally on top of the old ground yeah, and. Yeah. and like the new set, sa- it is, it feels like the kind of big brother of the old stadium. It is yeah, freakishly yeah. similar, and the diameters of the pieces yeah. are all very similar. So it'll be interesting to see whether, yeah, that kind of consistency remains mm. or, or whether the players respond to it like a completely new place.
1: Dimensions are not diameter, it's not a circle. But uh, the, I, I, I get your point. The thing is, it's like the Delta St. Mary's is very, very different because it's like an old traditional ground to a. Uh, brand spanking new shiny thing, which is kind of like what you were saying as well, Luke, about the areas. You know, you're not moving to a new area either. You're not having to find your way there for the first time in the car. You you know, this is where you've been before. Leaving behind Wembley for this stadium, from what I've seen of this new stadium, which looks very impressive, I have to say, it could potentially be the best stadium in London, full stop. Mm. If they go to this new stadium and the you know it looks like there's a very steep rake on the seats which i love yeah. so like the the crowd will kind of be right behind the fans uh, right behind the players sorry and that seems like a good thing yeah that, well,
3: that's, that's why the, the best stadium in yeah. europe
1: well i, mean, I think the burnout is certainly one of the best venues in europe yeah. just because when you're there it feels like you're yeah. on top of it and it feels yeah.
2: like a proper event also so also without getting too kind of you know snobby about the whole thing the the Fans who are going to be in that ground are going to be proper fans. They're going to be have they'll have been on the season ticket waiting list for a hell of a long time. They're all going to be people who have moved over from White Hart Lane. Whereas I think definitely this season, when Spurs first moved to Wembley in that first year, a lot of fans went with them. The atmosphere could get really, really impressive. The atmosphere on Saturday for the North London Derby was it wasn't great at all, and it's because you've got so many kind of you know day trippers and. Fans who aren't necessarily Spurs fans, kind of just mingling in, and the atmosphere has just been bad. so flat. Yeah,
1: Wembley's bad. Full stop. It's one of the worst. Um, unfortunately, it's one of the worst places you can watch football. I think in terms of you're so far away yeah. from the the pitch. Like the, just as the crow flies, like if you just drew a line from the centre spot to where your se- your seat is, it's massive compared to, for example, the new Spurs Stadium, which is built exactly so the fans would be on top of the uh, kind of the players and stuff. So it is interesting to me that if that is a boost, then they're a complete wild card in the Champions League. You know, Pochettino, Kane, Ali, Eriksson, Vertongan, Alderweireld. You could argue, Lloris, you could argue these guys are all like absolutely elite footballers. Elite, elite footballers. Mm. Who, you know, why couldn't they win the Champions League? But it's, when you have the problem like Sunday or Saturday lunchtime, when you've got to stick Wanyama in there because you haven't, because you're not sure if Skip can handle it. If that is a question they have in the Champions League quarterfinals, they're dead, right? So, I guess 8th probably is a fair place for them. 7th is an interesting one, Miguel, by Munich. 0-0 draw with Liverpool in the first leg at Anfield, going back to Munich. You're going to the second yeah. leg, I believe. Um, but this is not a vintage Bayern side. No, no. But yeah, I do wonder whether
3: they have a bit of that kind of muscle memory in Europe. Uh, they were very good first half against Liverpool, and trailed off a little bit, in which maybe you saw both sides of Bayern. On one side, the fact that this has been such an accomplished team in Europe for so long, then the other side, the fact that it's a waning force. Um, Who did you like out of the, that Bayern team? I mean, Thiago, I think, basically. kind of a player, isn't he? I'm actually, to a certain degree... I'm was Goretzka sp- playing? Uh, no. Uh, no. He was brought on, wasn't he? Actually, I, I've, been, I've been to so many matches since then, I actually can't remember the, <laughs> <laughs> the details. Um, but, um, I don't know, they just... I, I slightly fancy them to take advantage of what Liverpool are at the moment which is a little bit fragile
1: yeah a little bit a little bit I mean like I've wavered in this game I think that Simon Hughes wrote about last week was mm. you know this slight lack of creativity in midfield which is a concern yeah I asked someone uh, a, a former player about it uh, the other day and he said you know kind of dismissively like oh who needs creativity in midfield when you've got those three up front it's like well mm. I mean you do need a midfield still yeah, uh, yeah. it is still a fairly essential piece of the pie um I've got Liverpool in at sixth uh, just because I think Bayern and Liverpool is too difficult to split right now. Yeah. Uh, Liverpool dropping from fourth, though. But that, for me, is on a complete knife edge. You know, I, that could be literally like a VAR decision which turns that yeah, into yeah. a tie. Uh, I hope it isn't because I think we're seeing already the problems that are going to come with VAR. The, the fallout from the, this Harry Kane goal, the offside. That's, uh, that's, been that, offside that, that's, been that's the most tedious thing yeah, of Yeah, I know, counted. but we're going to get this every weekend with the VAR stuff because the thing is that what you're you're doing now is you're taking the rules and you're dissecting them down to a millimetre, where they weren't ever mm. intended for this. You know, like and it's what happened with the uh, Ajax Real Madrid game in the first one. Like, yeah, t- uh, technically according to the rules, you could just about say that you know, he was offside because yeah. Tadic was in Courtois' way. But, man, there's no way that was offside. Like It wasn't offside. Like, that's not how the law was meant to be written. The law was meant to be written. Gret- Gretzky,
3: Gretzky did not play in that game. Which is, uh, I was right. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. All the people who were waiting to see if so, was playing or not. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, I, I think that is a big problem. You know, I didn't actually have a strong view on VAR before. I thought it was kind of a boring debate. But that game really made me realise, you know, it's not necessarily VAR that's the problem, but VAR is going to be a microscope under which we're going to be looking at the rules every weekend. So and so if the rules uh, aren't right, then that's I'd a, a t- I'll tell you
3: what, so much for the bollocks about oh, it's going to eliminate
1: controversy. The
3: controversy talking about the ref, it's going to fucking create more of it. I shouldn't have yeah. <laughs> it's, it's going sorry. It's going to create more of it, and it's going to be even worse. It'll be interesting
2: to see what teams actually, like, who it hampers the most, because you feel like City's kind of persistent fouls and, you know, Spurs get up to quite a lot of mischief in the box and stuff with pulling players and pushing players it's going to definitely impact on some teams more than others
1: i'd like to see uh, the, the centre-backs who kind of end up tugging everyone yeah if we have a bit of a reckoning for these centre-backs and then they all have to stop it and try it yeah mustafi it would be funny um fifth on the champions league power rankings um amazing we are still talking about this atletico madrid up from seventh yeah harsh No, no no, no. fifth yeah. only fifth they just beat Juve, probably it's one of the best it's teams it's in the competition, 2-0. I suppose
3: you do one thing you would say that there might be a, a backlash, not a backlash, but maybe a response from Juve, so it's not quite job done. Because it actually should have been three or four to let it go. If yeah. it had been that, then maybe. And you do. I don't think they'll regret it,
1: but it's not, uh, it's not out of bounds. And the only reason I've got them fourth, you know I love Atletico and I would have had the number one, to be honest, if it was um, me being unreasonable. Instead, I've got fourth, Paris Saint-Germain, yeah. I think have to go up from sixth. They M- beat Man M- United. Maybe even a little higher. Beat Man United two 0 at Old Trafford, and they got Neymar to come M- back M- potentially M- after M- the M- And they got Mappe. and they have got the Mappe who is the best force in the competition after Messi. Real Madrid at three. No, get them well down. So, so who would you who would you bump Real Madrid behind? PSG um, and Atletico. Tottenham. Tottenham.
3: Yeah, put put them in 8 I think they're they're atrocious. You know they have got Sergio Ramos, right? Yeah. You know. but and, and they have this whole Champions record they there, and at least I mean you, you you can't rule it out with them, basically. Sergio
1: Ramos might have to score the winner himself this year. He might no, have to yeah. do it. He might have to. You might have to score the winner in a one 0 Champions League final. He's got two. Where's the final? Baku. No, Madrid. It's Madrid. Oh, it's Madrid. It's in, oh it's in, oh it's no, Wanda, sorry. Europa League is Baku, isn't it? Yeah. Arsenal vs Chelsea. I, I, already,
3: I already had a look in the flights for that. They're not pretty.
1: Terrible. No, yeah. I, so I remember. At the, I remember at the start trips. of the season. I remember at the start of the season they were saying that um, the Azerbaijan like tourist authority, or whatever, were going to yeah. suppress the flight and hotel prices to make it affordable for people to yeah. come. I did a little check, and that does not appear to be what's happened <laughs> and in can you, the slightest. Can
3: you, can you imagine if it is Arsenal and Chelsea to get tripped? Arsenal
1: versus Chelsea in Baku. Yeah, and more importantly, Mkhitaryan can't even play. Oh, yeah. Henrik yeah, yeah. Mkhitaryan will be unable to enter Azerbaijan. And we've got a Champions League playoff there. Where Hopefully, if Arsenal and Chelsea finish fifth and sixth, and then the winner gets in the Champions League, that's what you want. Yeah. Mm. Like, a really brilliant final day. Uh, how, many, t- how many would we send to that? I mean, like, everyone. <laughs> yeah, a <laughs> trip to uh, Azerbaijan for the lads. Ranking the last 16 in the Champions League. Number two, Barcelona down from one after a goalless mm. draw in Lyon. And that means number one, of course, is Manchester City. City. Three away goals and a lead going into the second leg. Have City edging ahead of Barcelona. Um, do you, which, I mean, what, what are you hating the most out of that? Do you? Uh, I think City probably are the
3: best team in Europe, but I do think their schedule will cause them to not win this quadruple. They'll, they'll fall. At, one, at least you the said steps. they'll win three.
1: You, you've told yeah, me I that think before. I think I think you think three. they'll win three, um, and Lukey. But, but I think they'll miss one of the big two. They'll miss either the league or the Champions League. Okay, um, very safe predictions from Miguel Luke. Um,
2: <sighs> I think City should be way down. I've yep. never been particularly convinced by them in Europe. Plus, they were poor in the group stage. They weren't particularly convincing in the group stage. Atletico, I just think Atletico should be top number one. two. Number one. Yeah. Barcelona and Atletico. And, and like Mig said, Real Madrid all the way down. I. I just think Real Madrid have lost that ability to just, you know, like even last season in Champions League they would just be poor and know, win the game. I'm, I'm not really c- sure they've got that.
1: The Clasico the other day where um, they were a better team we actually against Barcelona. The one on Wednesday was it night? Wednesday night. Yeah. And Vinicius Junior, who's obviously the, they have to gamble on people who could become superstars now rather than necessarily buying in superstars. And Vinicius was was brilliant and like he does cause so much trouble and he's clearly going to be a very good player but what they just didn't they just didn't have a finisher and they used to have the best finisher of a generation possibly the best finisher we've ever seen in, in Cristiano Ronaldo you know certainly one of the greatest goal scorers that football's ever seen and they used to have him and they didn't really replace him at all mm. Um and Karim Benzema has obviously seen an uplift in his totals this year but it's just it's easy enough to diagnose when you just watch them play. Yeah. Like, man, if they had someone who could finish, like, say, the greatest finisher of all time, then this would not be a problem. And there. I
2: mean, if, if, all, if all the other players, if all the other wonderful players they have in their squad were playing at the top of their game, then fair enough. You could maybe take out Ronaldo and the likes of Bale or, you know, just the many midfielders. We'd kind of drag them through. But The fact is that but, uh, Ronaldo's gone and everybody else is struggling and having, like, really poor individual seasons. So I just don't see how they're suddenly going to Beat three of Europe's best sides,
1: and I want to talk about Gareth Bale as well. Actually, just because it's been clear when you, if you, when you read the Spanish papers uh, a lot, um, and and tune into their media as well. Actually, there's important television shows and, and radio shows in Spain, and a lot of the, you know, th- we've talked about this before. There are two main papers based in Madrid. There are two main papers based in Barcelona, and it's nothing like here. Like they are very much on the sides of their clubs, and and they do their things. Um, more like they do in Italy where like certain papers are are more behind certain clubs like Tuta Sport is like the big Juve one if you watch the shows which are linked to Real Madrid from behind the scenes or listen to the shows that are from Real Madrid behind the scenes or if you read the journalists who are well connected to Real Madrid it is very clear that they want Gareth Bale out in the club now it's very clear uh, this spring Miguel like uh, you know you've read the stuff as well they want him gone yeah but for every year for the last three years, we've been hearing the same noises in February, March, that Bale would be definitely gone this summer. They'd be a winner in the semi or the final. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think it feels to me like the difference is that now the club have decided that he's got to go this time. But how do you make that happen, considering the contract they've given him? And I think his relative decline in value, considering his age now, he's he's yeah. best part of 30. Um he's got an injury past, a big injury past, which is one of the reasons why he's never really clicked at Real Madrid apart from all the obvious stuff as well. So, what do you, you know, what do you see happening with that because it is a peculiar situation where if Real Madrid didn't want Bale, yeah. Suddenly there's a lack of suitors. And yeah. for the last well, 4 or 5 years, every club has been falling over themselves to sign Gareth Bale.
3: It could come down to this, but Madrid are going to have to take the hit that Florentino Perez never wants to take. Because uh, he all be very he's usually very good at getting players he doesn't want out at a high price. Di Maria. Ozil. Yeah, Ozil, yeah.
1: But it's the same rumours. So Mm. The the funny thing is that usually Mm. they start the rumours, they plant these rumours about usually uh, womanising, going out, Mm. uh, drinking, um, kind of being caught out late at night, Mm. not turning up for training all these things. They can't do it with Bale because they've established the reputation of Bale Mm. as a hermit who only plays golf and PlayStation. Yeah, they call him the golfer. um, You know, and they... And he doesn't speak Spanish well and all this sort of stuff. So everyone knows he's not going out yeah, yeah. and he's not tired. That's that's what they started about Urzil and, and, and plenty of people besides. So they're gonna have to go a different tack with him and it, and it looks like they're going down the you know the club are tired of his mm. injuries, lack of effort lack of effort to integrate. That's why these stories leak out like, yeah. for example, Bale was one of only three players not to turn up to the, the team dinner. Mm-hmm. Um because he didn't it was too late for him to eat apparently. Uh it was like ten thirty PM. <laughs> and uh, Jonathan Barnett, his agent, uh, told the ESPN today that you know this is all, it's all rubbish. He said, it's that, all rubbish. Well, he said that right through,
3: hasn't he? That's always Yeah, he, no, no. He, no of response. course,
1: he's always said that. And um, yeah, he's kind of a no-nonsense guy, Barnett. Mm. But you're looking at this bail situation now, and if Real Madrid do want him out, then do you think they force the issue at a lower price and try and make out what they'll try and do is make out that this is essential for the club to move forward, that they need to get rid of him? Yeah. And do you think this is part of the trying to get, scrape together the money for Neymar? Because they don't have the money to sign Neymar right now. No, no, it's it, they, all the they, noise, they don't have the money to do it.
3: And they, they need a bit of a clear-out in that regard, if they are, as much for the wage bill. Uh, yeah, it, it could come down, or offering them in some sort of like cup-price price deals elsewhere. Or even, I know people are going kind to of get a bit uh, wary of... Uh, exchange deals and how could, because how 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 often they're moved and how rarely they happen. But I think there's one situation where Real will. I mean, that's one thing I heard. That basically, they in, when they've been trying to move for any player, like for example, Ericsson or even like that, they've been looking maybe to offload Bale as well
1: because it, it makes sense to them, but it doesn't necessarily make make sense for the other side. And then fact, what happens is, the good thing about those sorts of deals is you can inflate the value. You can say, mm. "Oh, we're buying Ericsson for a hundred million, mm. and we're part exchanging Bale for eighty yeah. or whatever." Whereas it's actually like that's not really what's happening mm. but you can kind of smudge the details yeah. a little bit uh if Bale were to leave the summer finally having been confident every year if i lost three that he was going to go where do you think he would end up well i think manchester united have lost all interest now and he
3: he was always the kind of the expected destination for so long um spurs i can't see them going for that sort of contract uh, contract so big yeah um, unless basically there'd have to be a massive climb down from Bale's party as
1: well, but. I can't really there's see that. No you know, there's no way Bale's accepting a contract that isn't absolutely enormous because uh, he's on so much money right now.
2: Spurs contracts are always made up so much in like um bonuses, aren't they? Like performance related bonuses and Bale's not gonna sign one of those if there's a potential he's gonna be injured for like half the Would season. Would you wanna
1: sign Bale at thirty on <sighs> on anything north of two hundred grand a week? He's
2: in no way a Pochettino player as well. Like, I know it's the easy answer to say Tottenham because because of the history, but he just he's in no way a Poch player. Poch's got no kind of track record of really even working with a player like that.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I, I actually think Arsenal or Chelsea makes more sense almost. Not kind of him, surely. No, I mean Arsenal don't look like they've got the money to me. No. But I don't think Stan's gonna
2: I don't really think Arsenal need him. But yeah, I mean Chelsea, I suppose, is the other
1: Uh Chelsea because they they might be losing Hazard. could you go mm. you could make it part of the Hazard deal. But it would need to be very friendly to Chelsea, in my opinion, because I just don't understand how you're taking on that contract. But it's one to watch because it appears um If you follow the the Spanish media quite closely, they've decided that he has to go. uh, And for that reason, I'll certainly be following it. Um, As you probably heard uh, during this episode, before this episode and after this episode, um, we have a new sponsor in the shape of Beer 52. Uh, You know, If you like your craft beer and you like free beer, let's be honest, uh, that's probably the most important. But if you like free beer, uh, then make sure you go straight to their website. beer52.com slash indie and you just pay postage and packaging. They're going to send you a free box of beer. Uh, which is excellent. I haven't had a free box of beer yet, but when I do uh, get it, I will give you a full review on the podcast. Um, before we go, gents, any other business? Uh, Luke, do you have any points you'd like to make about football or life in general?
2: Um, just that, you know, everything's going well at the minute. Glad to have spent the last hour with you two guys. In crack on have a good oh,
1: week a beautiful uh a beautiful moment uh, they really there as luke got a tear in his eye thanking us for our time miguel have you got anything you'd like to say um we uh, have no. got a big top of the table clash at five aside tonight
3: yeah we do yeah let's let's hope we win that one
1: um so crack. all, all <laughs> thoughts with you uh for that gonna need another long-range scorcher as ever make sure you subscribe to the podcast please rate and review indie minds Don't forget to subscribe. It's just a a matter of pennies per day uh, to access extra ebooks, events, and award-winning journalism from The Independent. And while we're saying award-winning, I nearly bloody forgot. Jonathan Liu, Sports Columnist of the Year at the Sports Journalist Association Awards last Monday. Uh, We celebrated, as you quite might imagine, uh, in style. And we're also highly commended, basically second overall, for the sports website of the year, which we couldn't have done if you guys hadn't visited the website and then listened to this podcast. So thank you all for that. Thank you, Miguel and Luke, for coming in today. And uh, thanks to Pier 52 uh, for their continued support. Goodbye.